All right, we're in the book of Philippians, and we're going to pick our time up together this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Let's read these verses together. Paul writing, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is eager expectation and hope that I have that I will not be at all ashamed, but, with, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For I, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Well, I don't think any of us will forget where we were last Thursday at about 2.30 in the afternoon when we heard those words that we dreaded to hear, that this lockdown was going to be extended for another 30 days. I think all of us reacted uh, probably in a very similar fashion to hearing those words. We probably felt in our hearts, we're so close to the end. No, how is it possible? In fact, I found myself apparently going through the five stages of grief after hearing that particular announcement. It began in my heart with denial. No, no, say it isn't true. Not 30 more days. No. And then I quickly progressed to anger. How dare he? Who does he think he is? The governor of Illinois? Who does this guy think he is to require all of us to stay in? Is he staying in? I don't think so. He's out making this announcement. If he was sheltering in place, he wouldn't be able to make this announcement and we'd all be free May 1st. And then, of course, it went to bargaining. But governor, if I wear a mask and gloves and bubble wrap and a, a hoodie over my head and I wear you know, a PPE suit and so forth, can I then go out? Can I then go out and begin to socialize once again? Please, uh, Governor Pritzker, if I do all of that, can we? And then I just fell into depression, laying on my couch, just letting the Cheetos run down my face. And then finally it came to a moment of acceptance. I went through the five stages of grief that day because it was absolutely the last thing that I wanted to hear. And maybe it was the same for you. You know, it is interesting to me that this is the first time that I can remember ever having to consider my personal freedoms being curtailed by the government of the United States or the state of Illinois. Now, we know why we're doing it. We're hoping to save lives. We're hoping to flatten the curve. We've heard all of these things over and over again. And of course, none of us who want to go out and restart our lives and jumpstart the economy and get back to work, none of us have it in our heart 
that we're, we want to do so and kill people at the same time. That's a ridiculous thought. But for one reason or another, the reason I was able to slide into the position of acceptance is because I remembered that God is in control of all things. And for some reason, God wants us to continue another 30 days in this shelter-in-place order. And I can accept that. It may be difficult for me to connect with the rationale of our politicians, especially what's happening in Michigan right now. It's unbelievable to hear some of the uh, incredible uh, (laughs) rules and regulations she's put on the people that make no sense whatsoever. And one person said this week, you know, the American people are sacrificial. And they will obey as long as they understand why they need to obey and why they need to sacrifice their freedoms for a temporary purpose and time. However, though, when the illogical starts to take over, which has happened in this week in states like Michigan, people have a very difficult time with that. And I understand that completely. It makes sense to me wholeheartedly. But let us remember that God is in control. And I will tell you this, over the last six weeks, though I don't see a complete picture and know all that God is doing, I can say with assurity that He is working in the lives and the hearts of people. People who maybe have uh, never were willing to walk through the doors of a church are now listening to live streaming. They have questions. They're asking themselves questions about their eternal life, about God, about Jesus Christ. An article was just published this week stating that more and more Americans are no longer familiar with the basic tenets of Christianity. And in in this lockdown, people seem to be taking a moment to reflect, to contemplate, to ask philosophical questions concerning where they are in their life and what is their life all about. I think that's interesting due to the fact that in the book of Philippians, we find Paul in prison, isolated. Most likely he is chained to a Roman guard for long periods of the day. And in this time of being isolated and uh, excluded from the body of Christ in prison, Paul seems to now ask some reflective questions and philosophical questions because he doesn't know how his imprisonment at this point is about to end. He is waiting for his appeal to Caesar. He is waiting to make his case before Caesar. And as a result, he's taking his life well into his own hands by putting it into the hands of Caesar. Caesar can decide to do whatever Caesar wants to do, known in that culture to be a deity, a god himself. It is interesting to me that at this point in time, Paul doesn't know how long he's going to be in prison. Paul doesn't know how the outcome of his incarceration is going to play out. He doesn't know if he'll be set free or if he will be executed for his faith in Christ. But either way, we find here in our text this morning, as we continue looking at highlights from the book of Philippians concerning uh, the discovery of joy in our times of crisis, in our times of darkness, in our times of isolation, we find that in the second highlighted portion of this letter, Paul finds the joy that he is looking for by reflecting on the reality in which he finds himself. 
And that reality is this, if I, if I may sum it up for you. That if he were to live, he would continue on serving the Lord with great purpose and great eagerness, desiring to glorify God in all that he does say and think. But he also realizes that if this is now uh, approaching the end of his life, well, he knows that he's going to be with Jesus, the Lord, for all eternity, and that is superiorly better than continuing on here on this earth. And in either case, if he's let go or if his life is about to end, he finds joy in it all. Now again, remember from last week, we said many Americans during this time of crisis and lockdown, this time where we are asked to shelter in place, many people are struggling dearly and many people are very unhappy. It's because their circumstances have changed. And their happiness, in most regards, undoubtedly was attached to their circumstances. But we advocated last week to discover joy, which isn't so much based upon our circumstances, but it's an attitude that we choose to adopt in the reality of knowing who we are as Christians in Christ. And I believe this further speaks to that, that it doesn't matter what happens to us next. As Paul, facing possibly the end of his life or being released back into uh, the culture and back into the body of Christ by Caesar, he has purpose and he has promise in both accounts. He has promised to know that one day he will be in eternity with Christ forever. What a blessed promise that is. But if he is to live, then he's going to live within purpose. And he's going to dedicate his entire life to the glorification of Jesus Christ, whatever that may look like, in whatever role he's called to fulfill. And so Paul says, either way is good for me. Though I know that if I go and be with the Lord in heaven for all eternity, well, of course, that's the better of the two. But he's thinking of the people that he would be leaving behind. And he states later in the letter that it's for their benefit that he hopes he stays and he's confident that he will stay. But I wanted to ask yourself the question this morning. Be real with yourself. Be honest with yourself. What is the passion of your heart? What are you living for? If you were to, uh, you know, come down with the COVID virus and that virus was to unfortunately take your life, would you be confident that you would be in eternity with God forever? Or if we make it through this quarantine time and released back into the culture, into the populace, how will you use the life that you have been given? What purpose will you have? You know, a recent study once stated uh, that the people of America today seem to be passionless about really motivative and driven uh, obligations, or I should say goals. They don't have them. They'll, be, they'll like something, but they won't like it enough to push and to drive themselves to become the best at what they feel that they are passionate about. 78% of people do not have that passion. 
In fact, many people in that same survey stated that they do what they have to do in life more than what they want to do in life. Now, you and I know that we can't always do everything that we want to do in life. We are required to often do what we have to do for the uh, maintaining of being personally responsible. But individuals no longer working to an end goal, no longer having that passion that gets them up in the morning, no longer having that drive and that fire to become the best that they can be in this particular area, field, occupation, career, or ministry. Just yesterday, I was listening to the couple of the young men who were drafted by our beloved Chicago Bears. And it's amazing to me how many of them were rejoicing at the moment that they finally got to their break to come into the NFL through the NFL draft. One young man lives just uh, a mile or two from my home in Arlington Heights. And he, his whole entire life, was a Bear fan. And now he is going to have the opportunity to play for the Chicago Bears. But in one of the interviews, he stated about how much practice and working out and personal self-discipline went into obtaining this, taking advantage of every opportunity given to him to excel at those moments, to give him the opportunity to hopefully one day be drafted into the NFL. Do you have a passion like that? Do you, are you living for something that moves you so greatly that you're willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish that, including sacrifice and self-denial? You see, for Paul, it was continuing on his apostolic ministry, continuing to minister to the various churches in which he planted, interacting with the people that he saw coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But for you and I who are Christians, let us understand that we have a purpose within the body of Christ. That we have been saved for a purpose. No one, I believe, has ever been saved to become a mere spectator within the Christian faith. All of us play a role. In fact, Paul writes about this in Corinthians a little bit later on in the letter, where he talks about uh, each of us being members of the body of Christ and each of us having purpose within that designation as that classification of being a member of the body of Christ. You see, if I were to die due to the COVID-19 virus, I know that I would be in heaven, not because of what I have done, not because of my goodness, not because I'm better than anybody else, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I can rejoice in that. And therefore, I can have joy at this moment. If we are released at May 30th, and we're set back into society, and we can fellowship again here at the church, then I can continue on doing what God has called me to do, and that is being your pastor. And I'll do it with all of my heart. I will passionately dedicate myself in serving you. Do you have that type of passion as a believer in Jesus Christ? Notice what Paul says in verse 21. That's really the heart of our text this morning. For as he's contemplating both positions, this is how he concludes that contemplation. He states very clearly in verse 21, he states that for me to live is Christ and to die is 
is gain. This is how he summed it up. If I am going to continue to live after this ordeal, then I'm going to live wholeheartedly for the purposes of Jesus Christ. I am going to dedicate my life to glorify him in everything that I do. Because Paul knew a theological reality, and he wrote that reality, he stated that reality in Galatians 2.20 when he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And later, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, If I eat or drink whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This should be our passion, to be applied into our personal circumstances, either it be our career, our family, being the right husband, being the right father, being the person that God wants us to be. The passion of our heart for all Christians should be this, to live for the full glory of God. And applying that in a manner in which, like Paul says, that he tames and trains his body in all ways to finish the race properly and to finish the race thoroughly. You and I need to decide that after this quarantine that we are going to live full on for Jesus Christ, seeing how fragile life is in the wake of this pandemic, understanding that millions of people need to hear the gospel, and allowing God to use us where we are at for these purposes. And we simply need to purpose in our heart to live for the glory of God. Like I said, it can be at work. It could be at school. It could be at home. It could be in the marriage. It could be in your parenting, wherever it may be. Live for the glory of God. And purpose that in your heart, saying, Lord, if you see us through this pandemic and release us on May 30th, then Lord, I will live full on for you and find joy in that. But if something were to happen, and like the original models predicted that 2.2 million Americans would lose their life to COVID-19, as a believer in Jesus Christ, let us know for confidence, with confidence, I should say, that we would spend eternity with our Lord. To die is gain. Paul the Apostle, it's very interesting, in his second letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 12, talked about a man who had an experience, who was caught up into heaven, saw heaven, and saw that heaven and the things that were spoken there were... uh, he was incapable of reiterating those things when he came back to earth. He's caught up in the third heaven. Many scholars, and I agree with them, believe that this was Paul himself who was given a glimpse of heaven and therefore could say with confidence that he knew that being with the Lord was vastly better. And for some, death seems like a out, an option. Unfortunately, we now see that over the last six weeks, the number of suicides have increased exponentially. People taking their own lives, 
believing to escape the inevitable. And this is all around the world. But the hope that an individual has in eternal life is only for those who have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Death is not the answer for those who do not. They like to believe that they are just simply going to close their eyes and there won't be any further consequences. There won't be any further existence. But that is far from the truth as the Bible can make it be. We know that the Bible says very clearly that those apart from Christ will spend eternity existing in eternity apart from God in a place that's created for the devil and his angels that we know is hell. And for some, that is just horrific, and it should be horrific. But then some want to blame Jesus and God for hell. How could I ever love a God? How could I ever follow a God that sends anyone to hell? Let me make it clear this morning. It's not that God sends you to hell. It's you have chosen to go to hell. And you can get over all of the hindrances that God has given, His church, His word, the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself. Yeah, you can make your way there if you so choose to do so. Or you can turn to Jesus Christ this morning and give your heart and life to him and have the assurance that you will be with him for all eternity. Now, in actuality, we know very little about heaven. And I don't believe that as a believer, heaven should be our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is, I believe, found in the, in the passage where it talks about being with the Lord for all eternity. That's my goal, is being with my Lord for all eternity. And heaven just happens to be the place that that exists. Now, you and I know that often we can be somewhere, but we, cannot be, we might not necessarily be part of the action that's taking place there within us. For example, if you've ever gone to a sporting event, I've sat up in those nosebleed seats. I've sat so close that I felt that I could touch the Goodyear blimp as it went over when we had the Goodyear blimp. But it's another thing to have close and intimate fellowship with what's happening on the field, being on the sidelines, or being part of the action itself. In heaven, I desire to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I desire to hear His words. I desire to worship Him with all that I have. It is Him who I look to be with for all eternity. And I believe that was Paul's heart also, that he looked to be with Christ for all eternity. Now, if you want glimpses into heaven, look to Revelation chapter 4 or Revelation chapter 5, where John describes the throne room of God to us in this eloquent language in which he uses. But then push past that to Revelations chapters 21 and 22, and read about the new heaven and the new earth, a a place that sin and death has never tainted by its hands, and evil does not exist, where there's no more weeping, and no more sorrow, no more tears. This is the promise that we have. And this is what Paul was contemplating at this moment. If I continue on in this life, I'll continue on for the purposes that Christ has placed before me and to glorify him in all that I do. Or I'll be with him in heaven for all of eternity. You and I today have a very minimal picture of what heaven is actually going to be like. But let us remember that when Paul saw it, he couldn't describe it with human language. 
when John describes it. He uses analogies and he uses illustrations and parallels from our natural earth to describe what he is being shown in heaven. And you can tell that it's, it still falls far short. And then even reading these words, and if I may, I'd like to, you to turn to Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And I'd like to read these words to you. John writes and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He dwell with them, and, he will, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Notice verse 4, if you will. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give them from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for those cowardly, faithless, detestable, as for murderers and those who are sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, idolaters, excuse me, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I've often stated that for us as believers, this world is the worst it's ever going to get. Whatever we experience here, this is the worst it's ever going to get. It's only going to get better as we enter into the kingdom of God in heaven for all eternity. But for those who are not Christians, this is the best it's ever going to get. And God would say to you, I have so much more for you. I love you so deeply and so dearly that I sent my only begotten son that you may put your faith and trust in him and you may have eternal life in and through him. This is a promise that he has made to all people who will turn to Jesus. And I would ask you this morning, has this six weeks, these past six weeks, given you a moment of pause to contemplate where you are at in life? What are you living for? What are you applying your life to? Do you feel like you're living life and merely surviving day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? Have you come to a point in your life where you look back and say, I don't know where the last 20, 30, 40 years have gone. I can't believe I'm how old? Maybe you're trying to avoid your next birthday as much as you possibly can because it's just a reminder of how many years have gone past. Yeah, time doesn't stand still for anyone. But sometimes things go by so fast in our life where we get caught up on what my wife likes to call the crazy train of life. And in the, on that crazy train, we often don't have that 
time to really consider those things that are really, really important. How are you living your life? What are you spending your life on? What are you looking towards? In your times of trouble, need, in your times of distress, despair, where do you turn? I don't know about you, but as we continue through this crisis, I see that the world has less and less answers for those questions. In fact, the answers that they do give, well, they're insufficient in and of themselves. Only God has those answers. But what's keeping you, and this is fundamentally important to this conversation, what's keeping you from that relationship with God, where joy and peace and love can be experienced in your life a joy, a peace, a love that you've never experienced before because you've never experienced within the relationship with God is your sin. That sin is keeping you from that relationship. And if it was left up to you and I, we'd be goners because we are incapable of saving ourselves. But Jesus Christ came and died in our place. And why is that important? Because the wages of sin is death. We are all dying, not due to COVID, not due to cancer, not due to uh, heart disease, not due to just long life. We are dying due to the fact that sin has entered into this world. And though, even as a believer, I may die physically. You know what the Bible calls death for one who is a Christian? Falling asleep. At 51 years old, I cherish this time called nap time. Nap time is nice time. It's a good time. I can't believe that as a Christian, my facing of death is simply going to sleep, closing my eyes here, and waking up in a moment in eternity in heaven with the Lord. That's the promise that he gives you this morning. And all you need to do is embrace that promise is to be honest with yourself, take your sin before God, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. Yeah, it's an incredible gift that He gives you, but it'll cost you the rest of of your life. And then after doing so, living for the glory of God, having purpose that gets you up in the morning out of bed rather than your alarm that you snooze 15, 20 times each and every morning. So many people don't have a purpose or a reason for getting out of bed in the morning. They just feel like they're going back to the minutia of this world, the rat race of this world. Those are expressions that I've I've heard used to describe the world in which we live. But in Christ, I can look at things in a completely different manner that allow me joy, even in a most difficult time. And the circumstances that I find myself are incapable of taking that joy from me unless I surrender that joy to them. And Paul saw that. And Paul, in his moment of thinking and contemplating upon these things, decided and concluded for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I hope that in this moment of reflection, you have considered this. What happens if you were to die today? Where would you go? What are you living for? What is the purpose of your life? What gets you out of bed? 
And even though as a believer in Jesus Christ, our circumstances may not be perfect. Maybe you're working a job you really don't like. Maybe you're uh, working through difficulties through your health that you wish were, you just were taken away from you. But in Christ, you have a support that other people do not have. Work that job for the glory of God and let God use those circumstances to bring about the change in your life because he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. If it's a health difficulty, then give it over to the Lord and trust him and say, Lord, let it not hinder me from glorifying you in and through all that I do. Because there's a really unique opportunity before us, folks. And that is to share with those who do not know the Lord the incredible gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that we can be lights in this dark moment and that we can live with purpose and in that purpose find joy. Because not only have we been given purpose as believers to continue on in life one day after another, but if we were to die, we've been also given promise. And that promise is that we will be with the Lord for all eternity. This is your appointment with God. If you don't know him, let me ask you to turn to him this morning and know for sure that you have that relationship with Christ that will guarantee you purpose and promise.